So we've been singing, I love that last song. Take my life, it's all for you, I'm letting go. That's a, that's a set up for our message this morning. Um, it really is. I was, I was teasing Mark earlier because we had three guys on stage, we have no drummer, nobody's plugged in, it's all acoustic, and I said, it's kind of minimal this morning, is that right? And that sounded a little, a little harsh and critical, which... I would never be. <laughs> and uh, I, I love that. You guys, you guys did a great job. That was not minimal. That, that, that filled us up. So thank you. And enjoy that, that, that guy on that side singing too, whoever, whoever that is, Jason. Yeah, yeah, good, good trio. You could, you could do that again, Mark, if you wanted to. Mark, are you listening? Okay, <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you for, for getting started. We're, we are in the fourth out of five weeks on, on, on mission. And, uh, you know, we're part of a worldwide mission. I mean, we don't get to make up our mission. Our mission has been handed to us. We have uh, Old and New Testament, the mission of God. It's very clear what it is. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Um, you know what he requires, requires of us to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. There are very bold statements in relation to our mission. But we have our own particular personality, our own calling, our own time and place, our own strengths and liabilities. And so God has given us a particular version of this mission. And we're trying to state that. We're trying to clarify that. We're trying to um, renew that for ourselves. And uh, we've enjoyed that process, and that will continue through next week. We hope you come back next week, certainly, and then um, our forum over lunch next week. And then, you know, we're continuing to figure this out. And we not only want to share with you what we're thinking as leadership, we want to hear from you, and we certainly want to invite you to participate in ways we can't imagine because there's a variety of gifts and opportunities here that um, we don't know about unless we continue to have this, this conversation. We're going line by line, and today is that fourth line that simply says that our intention is to be followers of Jesus. We're learning to be followers of Jesus. So um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. And this is such a, a, a dynamic moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's actually near the beginning of his public ministry. And he will go into this profound teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, you could spend the rest of your life working through that because there's, there's so much there. But listen to the, to, the, to the call to discipleship. It's a call, obviously, of these particular individuals um, in this time in history, but it's a call to every one of us. So if this is of interest to you, if you're even curious about this, if this is the life you intend to lead... Listen very carefully. Starting with a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that day on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, 
and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The first words of Jesus, and uh, you're reading the various Gospels, and they have you know, their own particular take on his ministry, but we're pretty sure the first words of Jesus publicly as he began his ministry, as he's speaking now to the crowds, is the word repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is now among you. Repent. How many of you would say that's your favorite word, repent? I didn't think so. Repent is a beautiful word. It's a liberating word. I mean, yes, it's used sometimes as a kind of hammer to to beat on people, but repent means you have the opportunity to reinvent your life. You have the opportunity to go in a different direction. You have the opportunity to get guidance that can make all the difference to you as you think about the rest of your life. Most of us know what it's like to feel stuck and we're um, confined, and we're sort of, I can't get out of this, wherever it, this is and whatever I'm doing, and, I, and I, I don't know how to make that change that I need to make. The word repent is an invitation that ought to send your spirit soaring. You mean I could change? I could go in a different direction? It doesn't have to be just like this? That there's a resource available? I can get unstuck? I can turn around. I don't have to keep going this way. I can make the mid-course correction. Whatever I need to do, there's an empowering notion here. Repent. Turn around. There is help. Now, um, a lot of us don't like to ask for help. It's sort of a shameful thing that I would need help. It implies that I'm weak, that I don't have all the answers, that I don't have all the strength that I need. Anybody here ever need help? I didn't think so. Because you're all self-sufficient. It's an image we portray. It's not the truth. We all need help. In the Old Testament, there is a frequently repeated word that describes God. He's called our helper. Let me just tell you that I have a lot of pride. uh, This is true confession time. And I don't like to ask for help. Um, I don't even want to admit I need help. I'm glad to help you because that proves that I'm strong. Ever need any help? Come and ask me. Do I ask for help? Quite reluctantly. There's something in me that sort of, I don't know where it comes from, but it's just sort of, I'm conditioned to be the one in charge. I'm, I'm supposed to be taking the lead. I'm supposed to have all the answers. So when I cry out for help, you know that I'm one desperate guy. And actually, calling out for help sooner rather than later is the smart thing to do. We all need help. And God is has committed himself to giving us help, to giving us guidance, to giving us direction and giving us strength. If you don't think that you need that, 
everything that happens from here on in the Gospels may seem irrelevant to you, maybe even a bit threatening to you, because somebody is offering to give you all the help that you need, and uh, that feels a little bit like giving up control, what we were just singing about, letting it all go. Letting it all go so that I can gain everything I don't have. Um, How does this work out in real life? What does a disciple do? I mean, we know what they did 2,000 years ago, but what do we do? Jesus is not physically here on earth, so how do we follow him? Well, it begins with this commitment, this surrender, this letting go and saying, okay, you will now take charge of my life. I'm going to follow your lead. And I'm beginning to believe that if I do that, I'm actually going to find the blessing, the fulfillment, and the strength that I want, that I haven't been able to find as I conjure it up all by myself. So I look back on my own life. And my life now is kind of a string of careers. that I'm talking talking about kind of big picture now, just for a moment. And I'm older than almost everybody here, so you've got to listen to me, because I know stuff. I've been around a long time. And I've had these 4.5 careers. If you look back on it, it looks like God, it looks like somebody has, there's a a master plan here. The truth is, there was no master plan. The truth is, there were moments of profound confusion. The truth is that 9, 10 years into a marriage with my wife, we hit the wall and had a crisis. And uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a crisis? Well... I think if you watch a lot of so-called Christians, what it means is you ignore him during the crisis, and when you get your act together, then you come back to church, right? No, it's not supposed to work like that. It's at any moment, whether crisis or opportunity or in the everyday, he's available, and he is the one you can trust, and he is the one you can follow. So it came down to making a very big decision. And as a follower of Christ which I claimed to be at the time, I was actually a a youth minister in a a church, I needed to go to him for direction because my emotions were all in a jumble. Emotions are important, but they can't ultimately be trusted. They're signs, they're indicators, they're important. Don't want to ignore them, but you can't give emotion, you can't give feeling the final say because um, they change really fast. And emotions are very insistent, but they're not very intelligent. Do you know that about, about your own emotions? It's important to be aware of them. Now that I've listened to you, okay, I'm going to listen to a higher authority now. And what I needed to do was I needed to totally change my life in order to do what God had called me to do. If we were going to keep our marriage, I mean, it was very serious. And we had two little children who didn't even realize that they were in jeopardy if something happens here. And so listening to God at that moment, I didn't want to. In some ways, I was slow to do it in other ways. My wife was ahead of me in seeking to follow Jesus at that point. I have a rebellious, I have a kind of, kind of stubborn side to me. And um, to kind of lay it down at that moment, I can sing about it. But to actually do it, especially when there's a crisis going on, and say, is this what defines my life? Is this the relationship that's most important to me, or am I playing games? And so I had to make that decision, and I made that call for myself, just as my wife made it for herself. And so we moved 3,000 miles away 
to do what God had called us to do, to restart, to regain our relationship. And, and more importantly than our relationship, yes, there are things that are more important than marriage, and that's our relationship with God, because as you submit there first, he will begin to show you how to repair other relationships that are broken down, and that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. And so we moved from Redwood City, California, to Barrington, Rhode Island. That's like moving from America to Siberia. <laughs> Especially in the middle of winter. And I've been in the West all of my life. And it felt terrible, but I knew it was right. And so that was a decision I made, she made, to follow Jesus. And along the way, we, dis we discovered what it was that was wrong inside of our relationship. And part of what was wrong, probably at the center, was God wasn't first in our lives. Other expectations sort of, you know, trumped all of that. So, to repent, to turn around, to listen to another voice, to acknowledge a higher authority than myself or anyone else who's speaking into my life. And believe me, people will be speaking into your life all the time. There's a, there's a cacophony of noise. There's, there's just a lot of noise. Who are, you, who are you listening to? What old tapes are speaking into your life? Or are you going to listen to the one who is here, who is beginning his ministry then, who is still speaking to us now and still seeking disciples? The gift of repentance, to be able to turn when you feel like you're paralyzed, to get the help you didn't know was there. And even if it, whether it involves your career, and it did involve, in my case, my career, or sometimes it's stuff that just sort of is maybe minor, and yet he cares about the little details of your life as well. So let's look at the call. It's very simple. It's not a set of beliefs at first, though there are beliefs that come along. It's not... Um, Developing your gifts, though your gifts are developed in the process. It's as simple as, come, follow me. That's what he says to his disciples. Come and follow me. There's an element of profound trust and challenge that's there. It's a radical reorientation of your life. Because whether you knew it or not, unconsciously or consciously, you are following some other voice, some other authority, some other pathway. And now he comes along, and with these two sets of brothers and others, and many others, as it turns out, and then over the centuries, millions of others, this is what he calls us to do. It's, it's that simple. It, it's, it's a call to a relationship. Come be with me. Well, where are you taking me? Don't worry about that. I've got it under control, one step at a time, one day at a time. Trust me today. I will lead you. You will discover more along the way. You will know more about what this is as you gain experience with me. Trust me. Follow me. Again, I'm telling you, I'm not someone who immediately responds to that. I mean, how could these guys, in a moment, leave it all behind and follow him? What did they know? What did they believe? What did they feel? We don't get a lot of details, so we have, to, we have to struggle with this for a while. And ultimately, it isn't just a historical question. It's a very existential question. It's a question posed to me. Come, follow me. Put your name, then, in that. There's James and John. There's Peter and Andrew. And there's Doug. And there's 
all of us here. There's the invitation that comes. Come and follow me. There's going to be now a new reality created by this relationship. There's going to be a whole new set of priorities given to you. I came of age in the 60s. You've read about the 60s, the 1960s, long time ago. I came of age in the 60s, and uh, I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley, 1970. Our mantra, my generation, especially in Berkeley at that time, Berkeley in the 60s was question authority. Later on, it became question reality, whole different scene. (laughs) Question authority. Don't automatically believe what you hear. Just because the person has a position, just because they throw their weight around, just because they're rich, they're wealthy, they're powerful, they're old, whatever they are, don't necessarily believe that. Test that. Become a skeptic, maybe even a cynic. That was sort of the mantra of my time. Now I'm going to go back to when I was a teenager because this happens even in the church at times. I was about 15 years old and I was in... Um, our Baptist church. By the way, my dad's sitting here right now. This is my dad. Dr. Bob Stevens. And uh, I said, you've got to come to my church sometime. I've got to show you off. I want you to meet these people, and I want them to, to know you. So I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. He was, he was professor at the University of Arizona, professor of history. And uh, uh, we went to a conservative Baptist church. And every summer, for a number of summers, we had a guest speaker come in. He was the son-in-law of our pastor, older pastor. This guy was a very impressive figure. And he was from Houston, Texas, and he would visit every summer for a week and do some Bible teaching. And he was quite a teacher. He was a scholar. He was very academic. He was a very impressive person to look at, six foot four inches tall, Texan. And on this particular night... I'll never forget it. He was dressed in an all-white suit. He was a Golden Gloves boxing champion, formerly, and he was a colonel in the Air Force as well as a pastor and a preacher and a teacher. Pretty impressive credentials, don't you think? And he stood up there, and it was like he was king of the world. And he had this kind of machine gun delivery when he spoke, and it was... uh, Um, Very intellectual and way beyond me at 15 years of age. So after a few minutes, I'm there basically to rendezvous with my friends later on. Several hundred people sitting out there, everybody taking notes. And he was in charge of that room. And he expected you to be listening. So when we weren't listening in the back, thinking that he would ignore us, he calls us out, the four of us. Teenagers, calls us out. We didn't even know what was happening until the room suddenly got silent. Oh, he's looking at us. He made us stand up give our names, and he says, I don't know about here in Arizona, but in Texas, when, um, um, when there's a visiting preacher, we expect the youngsters to respect their elders and pay attention. And I laughed out loud. <laughs> it was the word youngster. I am not a youngster. I'm 15 years old. And uh, nobody else laughed. So the other guys, my friends, could sit down. And there I am standing up in the back now, and it's me versus him. And he says, well, once again, the formula. I don't know about here in Arizona, but in Texas, if, if one of the young people defies the pastor, we put on the gloves after the service. This dude is challenging me to a fight. <laughs> and he's a Golden Gloves boxing champion, and I'm a skinny 15-year-old high school kid. 
And I should have sat down, but I couldn't quite do it. Needed to save a little face here. You know how that is. And so even though I couldn't think of anything, you know, intelligent to say, here's what I did say. I said, well, I don't know about in Texas, but here in Arizona, when a man dresses in all white, he usually drives an ice cream truck. Now, he had such a, a clamp down on this audience, nobody laughed. There was an audible groan. He puts his finger in my face, uh, uh, almost, and he says, well, I'll see you after the service. Okay, I didn't listen to anything else he said. I'm thinking, okay, li- maybe I can convince him to play basketball with me, because at least I would survive if I lost. At the end, he prayed. While he was praying, guess where I was? I was, I was gone. I was gone. And later on, my mom was sitting out there. My dad wasn't there, apparently. My mom was sitting out in the audience, and, of course, she was frozen with fear. <laughs> She's about to lose her firstborn son. And uh, later on, she said, you know, that, that really was horrible. I said, I know, I know. And then she said, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> I have a built-in resistance to overblown authority, to the dictator, to someone who's dominating, to someone who's trying to intimidate me. I don't like that. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he running around grabbing people and making them do stuff? Is this some kind of, you know, inflated ego trip? I mean, people in, in charge often have that problem. And even if they didn't at the beginning, they develop that kind of problem. That's what's going on here? It's the opposite. It's absolutely the opposite. Jesus is a different kind of leader. His leadership is servant leadership. They had, we believe, they had an opportunity to watch him with people as he was up in this region, this Galilee region. Um, They watched him teaching people. They watched him healing people. They watched him caring for people. They watched him reaching out to the the edges of the crowd. They watched him um, revealing a God who isn't impressed by our credentials but is drawn to our need. The God that loves us so much that he's now sending this one who represents his love, his unbelievable love. And that kind of authority that wants to serve, that wants to care, that wants to love me right where I am, I don't really have any resistance to that. It's just rare to find it. So this is the call. Come, come. There's the appeal. There's the invitation. Come. It's a choice don't have to come follow me there's some discipline involved with that follow me you know the the greek word comes from the word akuo that's the that's the that's the core word which means to hear to listen and so if you're following you're listening but but you're listening in such a way that when you hear the word when you hear the voice you respond you act are you listening are you acting there's three parts now to this, to this follow-up. Okay. What am I doing? Okay, ignore that sound here. How about a handheld mic? Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Okay. Okay, it's, it's gone. It disappeared. I've been healed. No. If 
I don't move, if I stand here like a statue, maybe this works. Okay, you got it. Do whatever you need to do. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't know you that well. All right. Are we better? Okay, we're back. So what, what is the exact ask here? What's the invitation? First of all, leave everything. Leave your nets. Leave the boat. Leave your dad. I don't know how happy Zebedee was, the father of James and John, about this. I thought the Bible was family-friendly. Come on, what, what is this? Breaking up the family? Well, not exactly. You know, our kids, we have three, they ran away from home in their 20s and 30s. It's a good thing to do, actually. Leave your mother and father, begin a new career, get married, start a ministry. Um, even your, parent, your parents' authority isn't absolute. As important as those relationships are, there's something even more important. In fact, until you put Christ first, you won't understand how to relate to everybody else. In fact, you might even be sort of at their mercy if, if things get dysfunctional. But Jesus says, I'm asking a new priority of, of you now. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to put me first. You're going to follow me. You're going to leave behind things that were valuable to you. And they're still valuable, but now they come under my authority. They now fit into my priorities. Do you trust me at that level? You know, we use the word Christian to talk about those people who are followers of Christ, who, who believe in him. Christian is not a New Testament term. Christian was a term invented by non-Christians looking at Christians saying, see how I have to use the word? It was kind of used derisively at first, those, those Christians. And sometimes the word is just about, it's about membership. It's about, I belong to the club. I'm part of the institution. But you see, we're really back at the beginning now. Let's, let's take a look at this primitive moment because what we're hearing here is this is about a relationship. This is about following Jesus. It's as simple as that and as hard as that. And so it begins by leaving behind. It begins by subordinating every other commitment so that it's secondary and, if necessary, can be released. You can let it go. That's hard, and it's necessary, because your life is going to be organized under one priority or another. Jesus is saying, let it be me. No one cares for you like he does. No one understands your situation like he does. Let it be him. So let go. It's hard to do. Let go of your old way of life, and follow me everywhere. Now, part of this is as we say yes to this, as we begin kind of tentatively, but notice they followed immediately. 
Not a lot of discussion, not a lot of debate, not a lot of conditions put upon it. You can't kind of negotiate with God. Well, here are my terms. As soon as you start doing that, now you've diminished him, and he can't be the leader. He can't be the one you're following because you're now telling him where he's going to lead you, which means you're not following anymore. No, following is following. Listening is listening. Obeying is obeying. Trust is trust. Has he earned that? Has he won that from you? And do you know what that means? Because if you do trust him, you're now going to let go of other priorities and demands. You're going to hold them loosely. You're going to put him first. He's going to be in charge of and help you organize your life under the central theme of the kingdom of God represented by Jesus himself. That's how it happens. But we don't do this by ourselves alone. We're called to join a band of disciples, of followers, of believers. Believers who don't just believe, but actually do what they believe, which was the intention the whole time. And, you know, we get a chance to ask each other some really important, helpful, and challenging questions as we follow him together. So... Um, how goes it with you in your walk with Christ? It's a question we get to ask each other. It should be a natural question amongst us as a church. And the answer doesn't have to be, oh, fine, because I don't always believe that anyway. The answer should be honest. It should be like, I'm having a struggle here, or I'm having a breakthrough here, or we need to be sharing that with each other. You see, we can help each other in this discipleship because we all have blind spots, we all fool ourselves sometimes. We all live delusions in which we're pretending to do something. And, and so to have friends who ask, ask us those questions, so how goes it in your walk with Christ? So what is Jesus teaching you? Because to follow him means to learn about him. You're going to become like him because you're with him. You're going to spend time with him. You're going to read the Gospels. You're going to pray. You're going to struggle at times because there's some things you're learning and it takes a while to learn something, to practice it, to, um, to get over some things that are old habits that need to sort of, you know, break off. You're going to let go of those things as well. So what are you learning? What are you doing about what you're learning? What are you trying that's new? Is there some new frontier for you? Is there some new area where you're saying, this doesn't belong in my life, I'm letting it go? As we all know, that's not easy to do, but it's required. We don't have to do it alone. We can get some help. We can get some support. i got to let this go. Have you named it? Let it go. It's interfering with my walk with Christ. Or there's something I need to take up, something I need to say yes to. Becoming a VBS volunteer. Sorry, that was an infomercial. Because you'll love it if you do it. Is there something I need to start doing? Talk about that. That ought to be kind of a natural conversation, whether it's just in passing or in some small group you're a part of or, uh, you know, intentional communication between us. And then the final thing ought to be, and by the way, how can I support you in all this? How can I pray for you in all of this? This is our conversation. Amongst disciples, this is what we talk about. Yeah, we talk about the giants and the fact that they finally won a game. We, we talk about things like that. But we don't just keep it on the surface. We're not afraid of going deep. We're not afraid of getting personal with each other. Jesus has already opened this up for us. We can get personal with each other. You have permission to get very personal. Oh, now I've scared you. 
You didn't know we can do that. Well, as our friendships build and we are together on this journey, that kind of trust not only between us and God begins to sort of envelop us. We're beginning to trust each other as well. Leave everything. Let it be second. Let him, let his word, let his call to you be first. Sometimes that's going to call you to do something incredibly visionary, incredibly courageous. And as you let go of other loyalties, they will actually rearrange themselves into the proper order. You know, one of the people who taught me this about letting go even of family is my dad. My dad's been a model of what it means to follow Christ first. And because of that, our family is stronger, as it turns out, because they're not first. No family can bear the burden of being first and all-important and a kind of idolatry. No family, no nation, as patriotic as we may be, no nation can carry that. No tribe, no alma mater. Are you listening, Stanford grads? No other natural association can be, can hold the center as God himself holds the center. And then everything else will be seen in its proper light and will be arranged appropriately. That's how it happens. Leave everything behind. Follow me everywhere. And by the way, you're going to now help other people find and discover this relationship. You're going to draw other people into the kingdom. These people are as we find out at the end of this passage where it talks about Jesus now going out with his disciples trailing along. And he's going into all these places. And he's proclaiming the good news of God's reign. God's now in charge. He knows your name and he's inviting you into a relationship. And he has forgiven you and he accepts you and he loves you. And you now can live a whole... It's good news to know that. We're not trapped any longer. We're not left out any longer. We're not religiously disqualified because we grew up in the wrong place or had the wrong skin color or had the long, wrong background or whatever the world tells us is wrong about us. God says, I'll make it right. You're mine. I've got you. That's good news. The good news of the kingdom of God, which trumps every other kingdom in this world. He's proclaiming the good news and he's demonstrating the good news. He's healing people. Jesus just loves people. That's what you pick up when you watch him carefully. He just loves people. And if you're going to follow him, you're going to learn to love people. You're going to drop the wall, the prejudice that, that you inherited. You're going to get past your irritability and your judgmentalism and, and all that would create a gap between you and the people that God loves and because he does now you're learning to. This is a learning process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a following. It's a, pro, it's a process. It's, a, it's progress. It's, it's learning. Is your heart open? So that when he speaks, you go, well, that's, your word is my command. I'm, I'm listening. I'm hanging on your every word. I don't quite get it yet, but I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to keep learning. And yes, if it's a bit painful at times, it's worth it. Every adventure involves some pain, especially the ultimate adventure of getting to know God and of following His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul picked up on this. He became a follower, a disciple, and then an apostle, one sent out 
And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just listen to these words. This is the heart of Paul. This is what should happen to every disciple. This is how he feels about people. It's here somewhere. Sean, you want to help me find it? No, I've got it. I know it's here. Paul is talking about the purpose of his life. This is, this is a huge statement. What is our hope? Our joy? The crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. What is it all about? What do you think he's going to say? That he's mastered the material? That he's stayed out of trouble? That he's developed great virtues? That's not where he goes. Is it not you, he writes? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. When you get it like that, you become like Christ. Other people are that important. You give to them, you serve them, you love them right where they are. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. All of us start off very self-centered and because of that, very fearful. Very afraid to open up, very afraid to give ourselves away. And then we start following Jesus. And we feel the thrill, the momentum of walking in his way. Yesterday, there was an article in the paper. I couldn't resist cutting it out. It's about somebody here on the peninsula. And the headline says, Restoration. This is Contra Costa Times. I live in Walnut Creek. Restoration. Okay, and here's the picture of a doctor with a, with a patient. And I'm thinking, okay, what's this about? This looks good. This is appealing. And by the way, the gospel is such good news that whenever it breaks out, people are drawn to it. And I would assume that people who have no interest in Christianity would have read this article and would have, would have said, oh, I wonder, I'm intrigued by that. Who is this guy? And what motivates him? So listen to this brief story here. Every morning at at 4.45, sitting in the dark on the edge of his bed, orthopedic surgeon Dr. John Dearborn prays silently for strength, for healing, for success. He's being answered in wondrous ways, both medical and financial. His replacement of nearly 6,000 hips and knees over the past decade is bringing startling payoffs to Washington Hospital in Fremont. They just completed a $38 million state-of-the-art center for joint replacement. It is miraculous, said Dearborn 46, to have a joint replacement program at a community hospital that's growing like this. That just doesn't happen nowhere else in the Bay Area. I get to help the lame walk and give the Lord credit. That's his life now. What do you think? Is he a disciple? I think so. You go on to read it, he says, every morning he gets up at that that early time and he prays. And then he goes off and he works out. Except for Wednesday mornings because he's at a Bible study. Bible study at Peninsula Covenant Church in Redwood City. One of our sister churches. I haven't met this guy. I was with Peninsula Covenant Church all last weekend on their all-church retreat. Um, he wasn't there. I guess there was a hip that needed replacing or something. I want to meet this guy. I want to be around real disciples. 
I want to be around people who make a difference in this world. I want to be that person myself. I want people to feel like they've met Christ when they're around me. Wow, that, that causes me to flinch on the inside because that's, that's claiming a lot. But I'm not claiming it for myself, and you're not claiming it for yourself. You're a follower. You're a disciple. All the attention will be on him when you accurately reflect him in this way. Look what happened to the people of the ancient world when Jesus just began, his, just launched his ministry all over the place in the, in the very Jewish parts of Israel and in the very Gentile parts of Israel. You can hear it in the language that's used. It's a real mixed kind of population that he's reaching out to and loving. The disciples are watching this. They're intrigued. Of course, they're afraid as all of us are afraid, but they're drawn and they're in it for a lifetime. Are you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. The kind of authority we can trust and don't have to resist or be afraid of. When you ask us to do hard things, it's for our own good. It really is. And not just for our good, but for the blessing of many. And so we're on this journey. Some of us have begun, and we said, yes, we're following you. And Lord, strengthen us for the journey and help us encourage each other. Some of us are considering it. And maybe thinking it's all too complicated and I'll wait till I have it figured out. Lord, we, we know we won't have it figured out until we start. And I pray for that person who's thinking about it, that they will start and discover how trustworthy you are and see the incredible benefit that comes by following in the wake of your commands to us.